0: blog talk radio poultry with the chicken whisperer radio show brought to you by calm Bock my name is andy schneider but most know me as the chicken whisperer author of the chicken whisperer's guide to keeping chickens national spokesperson for the usda biosecurity for birds program and editor-in-chief of chicken whisperer magazine each week i welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics including backyard poultry show poultry heritage poultry gardening, cooking, and, of course, living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit us online at chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Calm Feeds. At Kalmbach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are
1: all-natural, antibiotic-free with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium
0: to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome,
1: goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at Kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumbles today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of The Chicken Whisperer.
0: All thanks for staying with us today. Hey, we've got a great show. Great show lined up for you today. Our guest is going to be Dr. Bridget McRae, Ph.D. And, uh, hey, she's going to be teaching us all about egg facts. How cool is that? Now, last week we had... Uh, poultry veterinarian uh, Dr. Maurice Patiski on talking about um, really kind of manipulating the egg based on what you want out of the egg uh, from nutrition to the omega-3s and uh, color of the yolk and, and even some nutritional requirements that are important uh, for our hens uh, including that almighty egg-making machine inside of them. So uh, we're kind of uh, continuing that Theme, if you will, with uh, Dr. McCray talking about egg facts, and I'm sure with Dr. McCrae it's going to include all kinds of neat egg facts, uh, from from cooking to maybe she'll even talk about meringue, to parts of the egg, and, and just you know how it may be the perfect food, and you now really the whole nine yards. So uh, still continuing, uh, talking all about eggs. So hope you've been doing well. We've kind of got back settled for uh, our summer. Uh, after ending the spring 2016 Chicken Whisperer Tour, sponsored by Kambach Feeds. We did uh, six states, about 15 events. It was absolutely awesome. Had a great time. Met lots of you, uh, awesome Chicken Whisperer fans. Gave away a lot of goodies and uh, educated a lot of people on keeping backyard poultry, science-based, fact-based, study-based information is what it's all about here. And uh, we're glad you joined us today. Uh, Again, we have a great show lined up For you. Let me see what we got in store maybe for uh, next week. It looks like uh, a week from today uh, we're going to have Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor on. He's been coming on for several years as well and I think we're going to be talking about next Thursday, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, remember, Dr. petiski came on, uh, I think, last month, and we talked about the new FDA uh, guidelines regarding, uh, really, uh, it's going to be uh, eliminating all of the water-soluble antibiotics that you may be uh, used to buying uh, at your feed stores to uh, treat your chickens are going to go bye-bye. A uh, prescription only starting in January 2017, and I think Peter is going to be talking about the next time we have a mom. I'm looking at my calendar now, uh, if not Tuesday, uh, maybe next next uh, next Tuesday, if not next Thursday, depending on my travel schedule. I've got some uh, non-work travel to do. But I think his topic is going to be all about uh, alternatives. Okay, so, so you can't buy these. Maybe you don't want to buy these. Maybe you don't want to get a prescription. Maybe you don't want to go through that hassle. Uh, whatever reason. Uh, talking about alternatives that are out there when these other water-soluble, like Tylen injectables apparently will still be available, but the water-soluble ones will be prescription only, still available. You just got to go to your vet and get the prescription for it. and I believe by law they have to see the animal, have a relationship with you and, and the animal in order to do the prescription. So, um, But, but hey, t- talking about alternatives to that, what are some other available antibiotics you could use that may be as good or do the same thing, or maybe not as good, but you can take a chance with it. And then maybe some, again, uh, maybe some all-natural uh, uh, uh um things that you can use all of oregano has been a lot of testing with that lately a lot of studies um, a lot of success even on the commercial end about starting to give all of oregano uh, in place of the antibiotics that were in the commercial arena kind of given uh, on a regular basis to not battle disease but try to prevent disease if you will so um They'll be talking a little bit about that uh, next time we have Peter Brown on. Sometime next week, either Tuesday or Thursday, that's what we're uh, looking at. So without further ado, I'm going to go to our first official commercial break. Uh, looks like uh, Dr. McRae's just dialed in. Go to our first commercial break, get that out of the way. When we come back during the commercial break, get that pen and paper together because you're going to want to know all about egg facts today with poultry scientist and professor Dr. Bridget McRae. Stay with us. We'll be back right after this short Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at brincea.com. That's b-r-i-n-s-e-a.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third generation, family owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4 H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website cacklehatchery.com for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's cacklehatchery.com. Give the A cap full a day directly into their water is all it takes for a stronger immune system. Introducing e-poultry, an all-natural, whey-based soluble that will help improve your flock's overall health. Made by farmers for farmers right here in the USA. e-poultry is a safe, all-natural way to give your birds the strong immune system they deserve. Learn more and purchase at www.eanimalproducts.com.
1: Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with a Chicken Whisperer.
0: And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. All righty, thanks very much for uh, staying with us today on Backyard Poultry. With the Chicken Whisper brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. Again, great show lined up for you today. Let me get right over to the phone lines, uh, and we'll bring on poultry scientist and professor, Doctor Bridget McRae, Ph.D. Hey, Doc, how you doing today? <laughs> Good. How are you? I'm hanging in there um and I'm still trying to get to the the um relaxed stage. We're still kind of off this uh uh the tour schedule, and so now we're kind of at a place we'll be for a while uh we can kind of get settled in and get back into a regular groove, so we're still getting and there where i think are after this are week you? we are actually in the northeast Georgia mountains right now and oh. uh to be set- most of the summer, I believe, here. We may have a side trip here or there, but for the most part. And then, of course, we're looking at – we're already starting to plan kind of a fall tour, which will probably be in the southeast. Um, we're looking at maybe Georgia, North and South Carolina, Tennessee, Alabama, and Florida uh, for the uh, fall tour. And maybe two two parts. We may do one kind of in late August, and then we may do one in late September, kind of split it up a little bit, um, and then this will still be kind of home base until we head south for the winter uh now, but i have promise you toured,
1: we, have you toured um the southwest ever
0: no uh we've been in just about every state west uh, excuse me east of the mississippi if you look at the map on the side of the rv i think there's uh in delaware <laughs> i think that um, <laughs> we've not been to and we've tried so hard to get up there and we were up in that way up that way uh and um Arkansas, and we just did a complete horseshoe around Arkansas. People would look at the map and say, you have something against Arkansas, dude. And I'm like, no, <laughs> we just the road way our tour was scheduled, we went all just like a horseshoe, and Arkansas was right in the middle. So, uh, But other than that, I think about every state. Have you been up in the
1: Northeast? Up.
0: Oh, yeah. We've been all the way up to... Uh, all, uh, no, 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 no. We have not been. But northeast, not Northwest. Yeah, Northeast, we've been all the way up to Maine and back. Um, all the way up oh. to Bangor, Maine. And... Um, yeah, all those states. I think the only one, literally, the only ones not marked in uh, east of the Mississippi is Delaware and uh, Arkansas. Now, Arkansas, Andy, Arkansas, all, Andy is west of Mississippi. Andy. Yeah.
1: Come on now.
0: <laughs> I'll it's get up Delaware.
1: There you... It's a Delaware. state where the state bird is a chicken.
0: <laughs> hey, now, I've been to Delaware. Um, yes, but not uh, on tour. Right. I guess I need to. Well, we I did do the uh, event. It wasn't a, an official tour, but it was work related. Maybe yeah. meet Coopastic yeah, and so uh, you know, by golly, um, maybe. But actually, I don't think. No, we we did not have any younguns at that point. Did no, or, or, but you were close, and <laughs> we were close. Caleb was June and I think that was in March so we were, we were close so uh, I guess really I could go ahead and put a sticker in Delaware because we did spread the chicken love there at Coop testing, but um
1: <sighs> I think
0: all we have Mark Caleb and was
1: technically with you he just wasn't
0: there you go <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> the bun was, was in the oven he just wasn't fully cooked <laughs> he was still an incubator exactly, and uh, he hadn't moved out to the hatcher and uh, or the or the yet. So um, you're exactly right. <laughs> think about that, maybe I can go ahead and put a sticker on Delaware dog on it, um, and and then get that one marked in. And, well, we're uh,
1: already uh, planning CoopTastic 2017. It looks like it might be March 18th. So folks, put it on your calendars now. I've given you plenty of notice.
0: Plenty of so, time.
1: Yeah, we just need to set up the the arrangements with the fairgrounds and start looking for vendors because, as you know and I know, this is the event to go to for backyard poultry stuff, and vendors love it because that's the right crowd that, that they're aiming for. So if there's any just vendors out there, we don't charge a vendor fee, so come showcase your products.
0: And hope there's no snow on the ground.
1: Yes, no, no snow. No, we don't don't want snow. No, no, no. (laughs) We want it to be like 2008, 2009, 2010, when there was no snow on the ground. Yeah. No snow on Um, the ground. Yeah, I got a question for you, Andy. Put your thinking cap Uh on.
0: Uh oh. Uh oh.
1: (laughs) So, if you had to get started, um, With like uh pastured chickens, yep. uh, what kind of coops would you tell someone to get it that is if they went and got a you know electric fence like a four foot electric fence to put around it um and all your chicken travels you know it's it's time for me to to start looking at this for my own coops. Who out there has something that you think I should take a look at?
0: As far as the coop or as far as the breed? The coop. Oh, wow, the coop. Oh, man. <laughs> um, you're strictly looking you for... you know I'm
1: going to give feedback on it, whatever it is.
0: Strictly looking for a tractor style that you can move around uh, on pasture.
1: Now, it doesn't have to be tractor style. If you've got the pasture cordoned off the birds usually utilize the pasture. You might have it on skids or something, and it it would have to be something that I could pull. I don't have a tractor.
0: Gotcha. So so you're not looking at the uh, Joe Salatin there on pasture in this container that he slides around his property, and they're always in that container um, or in that, Hoop house, if you will, uh, that they can move around on. So you're looking at right. something that just you have, the more traditional you have a coop, inside a electric fence area, and they have mm. out, access to all. Oh, gotcha, 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 gotcha. Oh, wow. There's a lot of good ones out there. Um, Are your
1: listeners I, tuned in today? Can they give you some feedback? I, I don't have myself logged into the
0: I didn't know from the room. chat room. I didn't even open it today, so uh, oh, we can't do it. Oh, never mind we that. Buy.
1: Well, throw it out to never... your Facebook crowd and uh, pick the brains of some of your suppliers and see what they say.
0: Yeah, I guess it depends on what, what you want to spend and uh, what style you're looking for, because uh, you and I both know they'll range anywhere from, well, if you want it to last, a little bit more than, you know, a couple hundred bucks but there, there, oh, there's so many choices out there and we talk about that so there's no shortage of coops you can find them at Costco <laughs> you can find them in stores you can find them online you can go buy some from the Amish you can buy heavy ones and light ones and ones that are coming over from China and you name it they're, they're out there no shortage there and if you really have deep pockets yeah, I'm sure you can contact Neiman Marcus and and they probably still have some leftover coops from oh, their, no. um, <laughs> their <family laughs> Christmas catalog $100,000 uh, I
1: have a professor's salary, not a millionaire's salary.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay. oh, but uh, we're talking about today's egg facts. And so it's always, yes. I'm always, when you're on and we, we, that term fact, that egg facts, because I just, I, I, we've been working together for years and I'm thinking, okay, there's going to be some weird egg facts. There's going to be some, maybe some things we learn from the um, uh, poultry uh, bowl and um, yeah. through F4H and, and all this, I, I just keep, every time you're on, I think you have said the word meringue <laughs> more than any other <laughs> hey. Meringue and mild. Meringue you know, and mild. Have you
1: had a meringue lately? They do taste good.
0: They're good. I'm trying to think the last one. I think I had some meringue on top of a piece of chocolate pie. Uh, oh, probably, maybe with an elastic.
1: Meringue, seconds. huh? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so.
0: But it has to be it has to be baked so just like the the flares the tips are a little brown, you know.
1: Yep, yep. You can either bake them or you can use a um uh, a torch <laughs> to really to really darken the tips for just that, you know, piece de rizonc. Um you Well, we'll start with meringue since you brought it up. How about that? <laughs>
0: That's, that's so, fine. I think
1: we've talked about meringues. I won't rehash it too much, but as a refresher, basically you've got a foam, beaten egg whites, and sugar. And for those of you who have had meringue cookies, um, those are you know a, a hard meringue or a Swiss meringue, and it's um, it's you know something that that you put in the oven maybe overnight, and you got to watch the weather because too high humidity and they don't you know. They stay kind of mushy, kind of like the weather we're having around here. would not be good meringue-baking weather. The humidity is just too high. Um, you know, if, if you look at the sugar content, which is really high in meringues, they absorb moisture from the air and become sticky, limp.
0: And so but if you're going to
1: make a meringue, make it on a bright, dry day.
0: There's got to be... Um... Um, I don't know. The first thing that comes to my mind, my friend, is that I live in the south and banana pudding with meringue <laughs> on top. And I'm thinking, you know, 4th of July, it's humid down here. But it doesn't stop the little old Baptist church ladies from making some good old banana pudding after, you know, for the for the, <laughs> <laughs> for the homecoming church. Well, that's a church.
1: soft meringue. You use it to top pies and yeah. puddings. That's about... Oh, okay oh, two tablespoons of sugar for each egg white. And, you know, you beat it yeah. to soft peaks, and then you swirl it over your, your filling or your pudding, your pie filling or your pudding.
0: So and if then, I'm trying to think of, give me an example of a hard meringue. A, a hard meringue, a I, hard uh, meringue
1: uh, is also called a Swiss meringue. And okay. basically you're going to use more sugar per egg white, four tablespoons of sugar for each egg white. And you beat that until stiff peaks form. Um what would I So be, something
0: what edible i'm sorry item go ahead I, what edible item would I be familiar with that would have that on there
1: um Your pie? angel pie well, maybe you're not familiar with it, but pie is a good example um you can basically take a, a ring. <coughs> excuse me baked sure. in a pie plate and you can you can use it as a delicate crust for for you know different types of pies. Um, Or you can bake it in a springform pan and serve it with whipped cream and fruit, and then it's called a pavlova or a sholm torta. Got it. Okay. And it really is because it's, it's, of course, it's going to be sugary because of the amount of sugar you put in it, but if you put fresh berries in it and it's just so light with fresh berries, um, it's absolutely delicious. Uh, other types of meringues, there's Italian meringues. It's also known as boiled frosting, and you can you know, use it as a topping like a soft meringue. Or you can also use it as a base for frozen desserts. Um, you can also bake it hard like a hard meringue. Um, those are options. Then there's also poached meringues. Then you often serve those with custard or fruit sauces. Something you may have heard is uh, for a poached meringue, um, floating island pudding. Some folks may be familiar with that. Um, So to poach a meringue, if anybody out there is feeling a little adventuresome, you can um, drop the meringue by spoonfuls into simmering milk or water, uncovered for about five minutes, and Uh, You don't really need to to turn over the smaller spoonfuls, but big ones you might have to flip them halfway through, and you'll poach them, and then you pull them out of the liquid with a a slotted spoon and put them on like paper towels, and there you go. You can chill them before you serve them. That's probably probably best since it's often a, a dessert item. But there you go there are some really cool facts about meringues to share with you. and <clears throat> One of the things that I do want your listeners to be aware of is um, with uh, soft meringues and other meringues, if you put a meringue onto a hot filling, sometimes you get that little weeping layer. Um, you want to make sure the filling is not hot when you put the meringue on it. Um, so Weeping occurs when you kind of start to break down the structure of the meringue as it comes in contact with the hot filling, and then sometimes your meringue will slide right off the top of your pie, and you don't want that. If you're going to make a meringue, you want it to stay put.
0: I've had that happen before.
1: Well, it does occasionally happen, or, or if it doesn't slide right off, it might slump. And, you know, it doesn't... You know, when you serve each slice, you kind of want your meringue to stay with the slice rather than separate from it right away. Those things happen. They can happen. Um, another really cool egg fact, um, have you ever had an aioli, Andy?
0: An aioli? Uh, not off the top of my brain, no.
1: No, Um have you ever, do you eat many artichokes? That's usually when I have aiolis.
0: Embarrassing. The only time I eat artichokes is when I think we go to a restaurant and they have the artichoke spinach dip uh, as an appetizer. Jen and the uh, kids love it, so I'll eat a little bit of that. Uh, but I'm um, not a total fan. We wouldn't buy it any other, and we haven't bought it any other way other than just in that artichoke spinach dip that everybody's, okay. just, I, what I'm talking about. It's very popular. <laughs>
1: Well, growing up where I did in California, I wasn't very far from the artichoke capital of the world. So we ate plenty of artichokes as kids. So we would just boil an artichoke in a big pan of water, you know, cutting the the spiky tips off and cutting the the, um, base uh, pretty short. And, um, you know, once they were drained, we might put some salt or some garlic in there in the boiling water just for flavor. But if you don't do that, if you use plain water, I like to dip the ends of each artichoke leaf in a little bit of aioli. And an aioli is basically garlic mayonnaise. And you know, if you make your own mayonnaise, you're using eggs. Because eggs are great emulsifiers. Eggs okay. allow oil and water to mix. So you can use eggs and into a mayonnaise as a base for many different sauces and dips like aioli. You can use it for plain old mayonnaise if you're making your own. You can use it in, like, say, hollandaise or Bernays sauce. Those are two different dishes where you might use mayonnaise. And it's a great way when you have way too many eggs and people, you know, you're trying to get rid of the eggs and, and maybe everybody's full up on eggs for some reason and they're like, oh, I I couldn't take another dozen. Well, you don't want the eggs to go bad. How do you store your eggs so that they last a little bit longer? Well, what you can do is open up your Joy of Cooking, which is where I got my recipe, and there's a section in there called Blender Mayonnaise. And if you have a blender, you can make a batch of mayonnaise using your eggs and store them in a clean mason jar, or some other container that can seal tightly. And that's a great way for you to keep your eggs just a little bit longer, increase the shelf life of some older eggs Um, because the acid content in mayonnaise is pretty darn high, which makes it a little more shelf stable and is less likely to allow bacteria to grow. Um, So you can kind of stretch your eggs from your backyard flock a little bit further. And if you've given friends Uh, a dozen eggs for gifts and um, they're a little tired of that, you can kind of shake things up by providing them with fresh mayonnaise from your flock. Or mix that mayonnaise with a little bit of garlic and maybe some other herbs, Uh, maybe some dill or um, a touch of basil uh, mixed in with some garlic to create an aioli, and that's a wonderful way for friends and family to enjoy another version of the eggs that come from your flock. So there you go. Yes, it's another yeah. food example, but I thought you all would appreciate it. Um, <laughs> taking a mayonnaise uh, a recipe and just adding a few more ingredients, whether it's crushed garlic or minced garlic, however you like your garlic, um, that's an option for you. So there you go. Um, of course, one of the things people tend to forget about eggs is um, some of the different proteins that you can fo- find inside eggs. Uh, one of them is called avidin and it's very, found in very small amounts in egg white. Avidin is actually inact- inactivated by heat and avidin is one of those proteins that basically says no to bacteria when it tries to get in to the egg um, and uh, just it's it's a, a little grumpy towards um, some bacteria, and it? it's a it's a good thing to have inside your eggs. It's something to share with um, with folks. Is that eggs are very powerful, in many different ways. Um, one thing I know that many of your listeners care very much about is the the bloom or the cuticle on the outside of the egg.
0: Right.
1: Um, the bloom is a natural coating. Uh, and it does help to seal the pores. Uh, It helps to prevent bacteria from getting inside there. Uh, Eventually, the bloom dries, and it flakes off. Um, In the commercial poultry industry, they do wash and sanitize the eggs, which removes the bloom. And what they'll end up doing is putting in No, just a tiny coating, a little bit of coating of mineral oil, edible mineral oil. And that helps restore the bloom and the appearance on the eggs. Um, I remember many years ago when I was judging at some of the fairs, I told people, yeah, one of the things that you can do to increase the, the uniform appearance of your eggs is to do a light coating of mineral oil. The very next year, eggs looked like they had been dipped in mineral oil. So there's a difference between a light coating and pools of mineral oil in the bottom of the egg (laughs) carton. So when I say a light coating, you might be able to take some mineral oil and uh, dab it onto a paper towel and just gently brush it over the surface of the egg. Since uh, fair season is coming into play, and maybe some of your listeners enter their eggs into the county fair or the state fair, wherever it is they're located. Delaware is so small, we just have a state fair. I'll encourage your listeners to just take a tiny bit of edible mineral oil and uh, gently, lightly coat the outside of the egg, and it will help improve the uniform appearance of your eggs. Um, your, whether they are white, brown, or blue-green, doesn't really matter. But that's a strategy that some of your listeners may choose to, to listen to. Sounds good. <clears throat> um, let's talk a little bit about ways to kind of stretch your dollars with your eggs. Um, you know, we didn't always have refrigeration technology, um, so eggs were seasonal. And chickens didn't lay year round. Chickens laid um, during the longer days of the year, and there really wasn't a way to to keep eggs um, through winter, or keep chickens laying through winter. But now we have refrigeration. We can you know use drying technology or even freezing technology. And you know, I have you ever been into REI and been able to buy freeze dried egg whites or freeze dried egg yolks or freeze dried Eggs period for camping yep so Absolutely. that's that's one of the methods that you can use, and then you know there we don't have to in our country rely upon long storage periods. we have a regular source of um fresh eggs um <clears throat> other countries mm, you know the eggs may be more of a luxury item Pro- certain proteins may be more of a Luxury item. Okay. Other preservation methods are more cultural. Um, you know, some people soaked or packed uh, eggs in salt. Um, some of them packed eggs in cooked rice, salt, lime, um, salt and wood ashes, salt and wet clay. Uh, sometimes salt and wood ashes mixed with tea infusions and um these longer preservation methods, um, people ate them after after long periods and there were no known ill effects. So I'm not saying that this is what you should do all the time, but you should be aware that immersion into different liquids, um, including like lime water, has long been used and helps to stretch the period of time in which you get your um, usable eggs if you don't have refrigeration. Um, There used to be a solution, a bacteria-resistant solution called sodium silicate. We used to call it water glass. And basically, you dipped the eggs in it. Um, It was a way to discourage spoilage organisms you didn't get much evaporation of water from the eggs, and some people thought it had antiseptic properties. But one of the bummers about sodium silicate or water glass is that it didn't perform too well at high storage temperatures. So you had to keep things cool. Um, if you use water glass, the the eggs stored in a cool place um, in a, kept them in a solution of water glass. You might be able to keep them eight or nine months. So, you know, there are different things out there. Um, Not only do you want to seal the pores, but you want to make sure the egg is clean before you do so. You want to prevent moisture loss. and and, um, So you want to kind of, you know, think about what you're putting them in. Some people have used uh, cactus juice, soap, shellac. Um, you know, it's just, not all of these were great, okay? People are very inventive. Um, but, you know, oil was still, you know, one of the best things. Um, if you, some people would actually take the eggs and kind of immerse them very quickly into boiling water to kind of coagulate the outer layer of albumin, and, um, you know it it has its pluses and minuses, but by heating them, um, hopefully you destroyed any organisms that were on the outside of the egg. Um, but you didn't really want to cook the eggs all the way through. Anybody who's left uh, a hard cooked egg in the fridge for too long knows that even if you did cook it, if it's in there too long, um, <clears throat> food spoilage organisms can still come get it, even if it's organisms that arrive through the air. Uh, but, if you dip them into that boiling water and then coat them in oil, um, you might get a little bit more distance out of the eggs, um, but you might also get some mold it's just one of those things got to keep it clean inside the kitchen uh, let's see what else can I share with you guys? Pickled eggs. I do like pickled eggs. One of my favorite things when I was in college was when our professors made pickled quail eggs. Those are delightfully fun. For those of you who are chefs, I'm sure you have your own secret special combination of vinegar to sweet or vinegar to um, spice ratios. But if you're like me and you're busy gal, what you do is you take the the old juice from the pickle jar And you can pack some eggs in there. Um, You want to make sure the eggs are fully immersed in the liquid. Uh, If it's sticking above the level of the liquid, that's not as good. You want it to be below the surface and add a little fresh beet juice, and it turns those eggs pink, which is absolutely cute. Um, (laughs) Where you're going to find quail eggs, well, you'll have to shop around in your area and find a source for those. There's only one person in Delaware who has them and he's up a little bit north of us but he sells uh quail eggs by the dozen uh Japanese quail eggs by the dozen and they are just great as appetizers you don't have to do anything to them except for pull them out of the uh use a slotted spoon to pull them out of the um the uh the uh pickling juice and uh what we did is we hard cooked the eggs peeled them put them in the pickling juice, added the beet Mm -hmm. juice, and left them there for two weeks in the fridge. And then, yes, it takes some planning, but if you do this a couple weeks before, oh, some sort of event that you're doing, whether it's Memorial Day weekend or Fourth of July weekend, honestly, when you pull those out and you just put them on a plate, put a toothpick in each one, done. It's so simple and easy, and people are tickled. When they see them, and you did mm-hmm. very, very little to have to, to get them ready, which, you know, we're all busy in the summer. We've got things to do. Something that I know a lot of people forget about, and I don't know why, because it's fun as all get out to put these together, are popovers. Um, mm-hmm. It's a bread, ba- very basic, simple, hollow bread. You don't have to have a popover pan. You can use a muffin tin. And basically, it's a combination of eggs and milk, salt and flour. That's it. You mix them together. You pour it halfway up a, a popover pan or a a um, muffin tin. And they're going come to come out looking a little lumpy bumpy and funny shape, but that's kind of the fun of it. And they're quick and they're easy, simple breads, light as air, egg-rich. If you give somebody a half dozen popovers, you know, it it looks like it's a lot there, um, just people are so tickled, and it's something that they don't often enjoy anymore. So it's a neat way to take your eggs from your flock and turn them into something that you know, it's not just a plain old dozen that you're giving somebody. You're giving them a half dozen popovers, and they're going to be so thrilled. You can put things inside the popovers. Some people will um, roll their their fresh popovers in maybe some cinnamon sugar. Put a little cream inside, and it becomes a dessert popover. Not quite the same as say uh, a cream puff. Um, it's bigger uh, and you know it it's most often served alongside a a lunch or a, a dinner meal not so much as a dessert but you can change it up it doesn't have to be uh, just one or the other so those are some ways that folks can easily change up their their menu items if you give somebody just a, a A little basket full of half-dozen popovers, they're going to be so thrilled. One of the things that a lot of people don't understand, Andy, is the equivalency that eggs have in relation to other types of meat.
0: One Mm -hmm. egg Mm -hmm.
1: of any size equals one ounce of lean meat, poultry, fish, seafood, and that's just one thing you have to think about when you're doing some dietary planning or taking a look at um, helping your children understand the role of eggs in their lives and their, their future diets. So, um, you know, if you look at the other nutrients, one large egg has uh, almost six and a third grams of uh, complete protein, um, and it it meets the need of, about twelve and a half percent of your your daily reference value for protein. So you you know think about eggs as part of your your eating program. And when you're teaching your kids, um, which is probably why many of your younger listeners, Andy, chose to have chickens in their lives, is for those eggs. Um, if they've been doing this for a long time and the local fox hasn't eaten the entire flock, <laughs> they've probably got young people who are um, teens or tweens and are you know having to learn what it means to have eggs in their own diets when they're making meal selections. So explain that to them and and you know because I know that not all schools anymore have um, home ec or cooking programs. And they may not have access to that information through school anymore. It may fall back on the parents to provide that information. So there's a little tidbit for you to take to your kids.
0: Cool. Hey, I'm um, going to take a commercial, Oh, if you'll give me a minute.
1: Thank you. So, Sorry, uh, I, I wasn't paying yep. attention to the time.
0: No problem. I'll take a commercial break, but uh, yeah, we talk about that uh, when we go on tour. Just about um, there, there are studies out there that have done uh, with with younger kids in America that show that um, they've never seen a brown egg. They think eggs come from the store in a carton. Um, they um, they think that they have a hard time identifying whole pieces of chicken, like a leg, wing, breast, or a thigh, because their chicken comes in a nugget or a patty, and they didn't even have a hard time actually. Um, uh, identifying whole fruit, like like a pear, for example, because their fruit comes in uh, fruit cup, fruit cocktail, canned fruit, diced fruit, chopped fruit, you know, whatever the case may be. Uh, so so yeah, it's uh, for a lot of kids, and I've noticed this even in rural areas. Doesn't matter if they're urban or rural, still having that disconnect from where their food comes from. And again, I, I've never, I've never seen a brown egg. My my kids, I'm like, well, let's change that. Let's get them some backyard uh, poultry. So um, yeah, a, a lot of times it is about education for the uh, for the family and that's one big reason why they're putting some chickens in their backyard you're listening to backyard poultry with the chicken whisper brought to you by Kalmbach feeds our guest today dr bridget mccray phd we're talking about egg facts and there's more to come right after this short break stay with us folks the Yardbird Chicken Plucker takes the hassle out of backyard chicken processing by fully defeathering birds in less than 15 seconds. The compact size makes it easy to transport and easy to store. The 1.5-horsepower motor and 20-inch stainless steel tub can handle two 8-pound birds at the same time. There are no belts or pulleys to wear out and no adjustments necessary, which makes it virtually maintenance-free. For more information about how you can own this must-have chicken processing product, visit YardbirdChickenPluckers.com today. That's YardbirdChickenPluckers.com. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfge.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com. Or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at StrombergsChickens.com. That's StrombergsChickens.com. Want to protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster? Nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons come in several different sizes to fit both Bantam and large fowl hens. They also come in several different styles and colors. Give your hens the protection they deserve by purchasing Hen Saver Hen Aprons today. 100% of all proceeds goes to provide care to rescued animals at Crazy K Farm in Hempstead, Texas. Purchase your Hen Saver Hen Aprons at HenSaver.com. That's HenSaver.com.
1: Come back, come back, back, come back, come back, come back, come back. Yours, your back, the back, nature back, Pure back, goodness. Come back, feeds. back, Visit our website at KalmbachFeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H-Feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of The Chicken Whisperer.
0: All righty, thanks for staying with us uh, today. And let's get back over here to the phone lines with uh, Dr. McRae. We're talking all about egg facts today. Thanks for staying hey, with us.
1: I heard the Kalmbach ad, and it reminded me that we are still going with our our Kalmbach trial, and the birds are looking great. For those listeners who don't know, uh, I had my advanced poultry science class here at DSU again, and we looked at broilers and buckeyes. The broilers were processed at six weeks old, and we're continuing on with the buckeyes. and Boy, they're getting big. They're starting to crow a little bit, and they love that Kalmbach feed. So good news. We'll get some good good data out there for you folks if you're looking at, at putting some Kalmbach out for your chickens. I like it. Um, and hey, so do the birds.
0: That's awesome. Got to love it. I'm glad that study is going really well. Hey, did you, know, did you know that if your birds don't get Merix in the first uh, 8 to 10 weeks of their life, then they're probably immune?
1: okay where did you get
0: that one (laughs) okay it was on i'm not kidding i'm not folks i'm not making this up you long-time listeners know where i'm going with this um you you i I kid you not i think i even sent you that text uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago when i was on tour it may not have been that long but like, uh, hey, Dr. McRae, did you know that if your birds don't get Marex by the time they're uh, eight, ten weeks old, that they're they're probably immune to to Marix? Did you know that?
1: <laughs> grief. Oh gosh, yeah, I know. no, you can't. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's out there. I'm
0: telling you, it's out there. Oh me. Oh, golly. oh man. Okay, let's. So. Right. I
1: I would love to have – I was thinking about this the other day, Andy. I was like, I would love to do some really basic tests. Just have people from across the country send me their eggs, a dozen eggs. And I'll do all the quality tests that, that um, my students have learned in this year and um, kind of give them a, a rating um, as to where they stand for – anterior quality, um, model scoring, center scoring, that sort of thing. And kind of give them some feedback as to where they stand in, in relation to um, uh, others. That'd be kind of cool. I know some yeah. people swear up one side and down the other. The eggs from their flock are better. Well, define better. <laughs> and that's not always true. And they a hen doesn't always lay a perfect egg every single time she lays an egg. So, I mean, I always encourage your listeners to be very very critical of general statements. And unfortunately it sounds like you just quoted me one from the internet and I think people can read what I've put on Factor Chicken Poop that says something yep. similar. Be wary of very broad general sweeping statements. Um, your chickens don't benefit from it if 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 it's just a bunch of hullabaloo. All right. Well, let's continue on with some information about eggs. Um, yes. Of course, 50 years ago, more than 50 years ago, um, it was passed by federal law in the United States that laying hens or other types of poultry cannot be fed hormones. Um, however, eggs do contain hormones. They're there naturally.
0: Naturally. Um,
1: so when you put the statement "no hormones" into packaging, it's slightly misleading. Um, you know, the, <laughs> the egg industry doesn't use hormones for producing, you know, eggs that you eat, um, eggs that you buy at the grocery store. Um, but the f d a requires some sort of statement or or phrase on the label for shell eggs, which is hormones are not used in the production of shell eggs, so it's kinda of like people who go ahead and and on a box of raisins they'll put the stamp gluten free yeah well there's there's never been any gluten in raisins, so let's <laughs> let's not go down that path. <laughs> Um, let's talk about kosher eggs. Um, We have listeners of all different types in your um, repertoire, Andy, so let's see if we can uh, talk about uh, kosher eggs. Um, Almost all eggs are kosher. If you look at kosher dietary laws, um, neutral eggs are neither milk or meat, and they can be eaten with either. Um, Kosher certified eggs, They're produced according to the biblical laws governing the selection and preparation of foods. Um, The eggs that are produced by hens um, at egg farms which have been inspected by a rabbi and are found to merit the the designation uh, can be called kosher certified eggs. So there's there's a little bit of definition for folks who may be interested. Let's talk about... Um the haw unit this is one of the things that my students learn how to measure, and it's a little bit tricky. The Haw unit is named after um Raymond Haw who introduced the the units uh in nineteen thirty seven uh, it's a ratio, so we you know you can't say a ha unit is in grams or millimeters or anything it's in it's in haw units technically it's a ratio. Of it's a quality ratio for the egg white that we're measuring. <clears throat> and it's based upon the weight of the egg. So high units change slightly, the actual number change slightly based upon the size of the egg that you're getting from hens. You can get hens that lay really, 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 really big eggs, but the protein quality inside may not be that great. And so your haw unit may end up being really low or your haw number can be really low. Um, or you might get a little tiny egg, but the interior protein is super wonderful and high quality and it stands up really tall on the plate. That's a higher haul unit. And haul unit is considered very carefully when you're grading eggs. Um, so it depends on whether it gets a, a USDA AA, A or B designation, how unit does come into play there on broken out eggs. So how recently an egg was laid does have a bearing on its freshness, but
0: Uh
1: freshness factors are multiple. Um, The temperature outside, the humidity level outside, How long you leave that egg exposed to certain temperatures and humidities all play a part. So, all these variables affect, and it affects that egg. um, If you hold that egg in ideal conditions, that egg, you know, for maybe one week, if you leave it in ideal conditions, it'll be fresher than an egg left at room temperature for one day. So if you're taking good care of your eggs and you're pulling them out of the nest box regularly, you're not exposing them to extreme temperatures or humidities, and you're you're keeping them at refrigeration temperatures um, that are about 35 to 40 degrees Fahrenheit. And for listeners who are in other countries, that's 2 to 4 degrees Celsius. And you keep a relative humidity that's 70 to 80 percent, that egg's going to be a higher quality, freshness quality, after one week in those conditions versus an egg that you just left out on the counter. So, you know, you've got to handle those eggs properly, wash them within a few hours after they've been laid. And, you know, a lot of people get their own flocks of chickens because they're not exactly sure how long those eggs have been at the grocery store. Quite honestly speaking, most supermarkets get eggs from distributors within a few days of the egg having been laid in the laying house. Whether that's a week or so, who knows? How long they stay at the grocery store is a different um, business. If you time it right, you might be one of the first people to pick up the freshest eggs that just arrived at the grocery store, but if you come at the end of the week and there's a dozen that everybody's picked through and put all the junky ones into one carton and you pick up that carton, um, you know, you may get a dozen cracked eggs. By the way, check your eggs before you put them in your grocery cart. Um, You can't really judge freshness by the old wives' tale of putting an egg in salt water. Um, You can do a really carefully controlled brine test to judge the shell thickness of eggs. That's more related to hatching, but it doesn't have anything to do with the freshness of table eggs. Um, Just so you understand freshness, as an egg gets older, the egg white becomes thinner, the yolk goes flatter and flatter if you crack it out and look at it. Um, The yolk membranes start to weaken. Um, The nutritional quality of the egg doesn't really get affected. Sometimes the functional properties don't really get affected. But the way it looks in the frying pan can be a big factor for you, the customer. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're trying to um, hard cook eggs, don't do it with a really fresh egg. Choose the older eggs that have sat in your refrigerator for a while. makes it easier to peel them um, <laughs> because the stronger the yolk membrane, the, the less likely you'll be able to peel it cleanly and get that shell off. Um, so those are just some things to consider about egg freshness in your decision-making and, and what you choose to do with your eggs. Um How are we doing on time, Andy?
0: We're doing fine. We can wrap it up at any time now, but want to make sure you get all the valuable information to our listeners.
1: Oh, good. Um, What's your favorite way to eat eggs, Andy? Scrambled. Scrambled. Okay. Have you ever made something like a a frittata? No. Have you made omelets?
0: Oh, yes. I do a pretty good omelet. I, either it's just in this household, and we go out, restaurant, whatever, and have, like, breakfast for dinner, um, uh, scrambled, just a good old uh, fried egg, or um, or we do omelets on, on occasion. We absolutely do. I don't do the poaching. Uh, I don't do poached eggs, and I don't do sunny-side up, and um, uh, pretty, pretty boring here in the household. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I like sunny-side eggs set up eggs, except for I like the yolk to be cooked because you know me, I'm a microbiologist, and mm-hmm. I found the best way to do that is to take a a i uh, i take a pot lid or a pan lid and put it over the egg as it sits in the frying pan, and then the steam that comes up um cooks the top of the egg, and so um then you don't end up with rubbery eggs, and it still gets cooked all the way through um. Mm-hmm. But a frittata is what I wanted to talk to some of your listeners about. It's basically an Italian omelet. Um, you cook the ingredients right in the omelet, and it's a uh, an unfolded omelet. A lot of people will fold their okay. omelets in half, so it looks like a half moon.
0: Yeah. But a
1: frittata is an unfolded omelet, and it's about the size of the pan that you cook it in. Uh, you can... Add whatever ingredients you want. You can add uh, veggies. You can add other meats, fish, poultry, seafood, whatever you want. Cheese, if you like. You can even add grains, if you'd like. And you basically start cooking the egg and the filling mixture on top of the stove until it's almost set. But you finish cooking the top of the frat- frittata by putting putting the pan underneath a broiler in your oven. Um. Or if you're skilled, which I'm not, you can flip the frittata out of the pan upside down onto a plate and then slide it back into the pan. Uh, let's just say that never ends well for me. Um, but uh, if you have got can handle being underneath the broiler without melting a handle, uh, like, say, a cast iron skillet, that works great. Um You can just simply remove the the pan from the the heat source once the top is cooked, cover it, and then um, serve when when you're done. If you want to steam it a little bit, you can take a little aluminum foil or tin foil and put it over the top if uh, you don't have access to a broiler and kind of let it finish that way. But um, that's something for you to consider. Uh, Some of your young people may be willing to try this. If they're gonna cook uh, breakfast for the first time for their family, and they kind of make make it a little special, Uh, or if uh, if you want, eggs are great for dinner too. Uh, That's kind of a fancy or special way to serve uh, eggs for the family for dinner. Uh, Kids won't eat broccoli. Fine, put it into a frittata. They'll quickly forget that there's even broccoli in there. Hopefully. (laughs) <laughs>
0: or put it in quiche. Put it in. Put that broccoli. Yeah, broccoli in quiche. Yeah.
1: You can put it into a quiche, and then they're they're eating egg pie, and the novelty <laughs> of it makes it really easy to serve them vegetables if they're not really vegetable oriented. I figured I would end this, Andy, on um, ways to kind of measure the doneness of your foods because. You know me, and foodborne illness, I always want to make sure people stay healthy. And If you cook foods that contain eggs, um, you really want them to be cooked to a, an internal temperature of 160 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, so basically, if you're going to cook scrambled eggs, just like you said, or omelets or frittatas, you want to cook those eggs until they're thickened and there's no visible egg Liquid that remains in the pan. Okay. To cook both sides of a fried egg, um, uh, you want to increase the temperature that the eggs reach. You don't want to cook slowly, and you can sometimes baste the eggs with a liquid or turn the eggs over in a pan. If you have a lid, you can kind of flip them out, and or you can. Some people can toss the eggs right in the air, and they'll land correctly in the pan. I'm not one of those people. (laughs) <laughs> um, but you want to cook until the egg whites are completely set and the yolks um, thicken but are not quite hard. Um, for poached eggs, uh, you're going to cook them in gently simmering water. You're going to cook them until the egg whites are completely set and the yolks begin to thicken but aren't quite hard. That's about three to five minutes. Um You can uh, do steamed eggs cooked in a a poaching insert set above simmering water. A lot of egg cookers have one of those poaching trays in there. And, again, the whites need to be completely set and the yolks need to thicken but aren't quite hard. That's about six to nine uh, minutes. You really do not want to pre-cook and then reheat any poached eggs. Um, French toast. Monte Cristo sandwiches, crab cakes or other kinds of fish cakes, quiches and baked custards and casseroles, most casseroles, you want to cook and bake them until a thermometer inserted into the center reaches at least 160 degrees Fahrenheit, or if you insert a knife near the center, it comes out clean, so no, no lumps or anything stuck to a knife um and depending on what you're cooking you may or may not want that knife um appearing that that cut that you made with the knife appearing in it and um if you added cheese that can be kind of a confounding factor for casseroles so you know get a good thermometer and invest in a good thermometer and use that and put it in the center of the dish and and read the reading. You want it aiming for 160 degrees Fahrenheit. Let's talk about soft custards or stirred custards. So that includes eggnog, ice cream bases, cream pie. You basically want to cook them until it's thick enough to coat a metal spoon with a thin film. Again, your thermometer is going to read 160 degrees Fahrenheit or higher, but no higher than 180 Degrees Fahrenheit. Um, you here's the thing: you want it cooked, but you don't want it curdled. <laughs> curdling uh-huh. happens at 180 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, the only rule exception to the rule is when cream pie fillings and puddings have a starch or an addition of a, a starch that prevents curdling. Um, that would change your your uh, heating goals. <clears throat> And this is all below boiling temperatures, as you are well aware. Um, You also want to kind of stop the cooking process by um, whatever that custard or um, nog is. is, uh, When it's done, you want to plunge it into a a pan with ice water or cold water and stir it for a few minutes. Um, And, of course, if you need it to chill, um, cover it and refrigerate it. And at least an hour ought to get it to where it's be should be. Uh, let's talk about soft pie meringue, which is kind of taking us back to where we started, Andy. Um, if you're doing a, a three egg white soft pie, um, <coughs> you're going to <coughs> excuse me. You're going to take um, hot, fully cooked pie filling in a preheated 350 degree uh, Fahrenheit oven until the meringue reaches 160 degrees Fahrenheit. That's going to take <clears throat> about 15 minutes. If you that's for like a three egg white meringue. If you've got more egg whites, um, you're gonna you're gonna bake it at about 325 or lower temperature, and it's going to go for longer, probably 25 or 30 minutes or longer, and Again, you're just checking the temperature to make sure you reach that temperature mark of 160 degrees Fahrenheit. But I think I will leave it there, Andy. I have brought us all the way back to meringues. And, yes, (laughs) there are many other foods that I could talk about done this guidelines, but maybe that's talk for another day. There you have it.
0: There you go. Got to love it. And I knew knew (laughs) when I read the topic that meringue would be mentioned. I just knew (laughs) it. Without it's okay a doubt. for so. people
1: to work on their meringue competencies.
0: <laughs> you got to work on it. Yeah, and when you work on it and you need a something or a place to send all those pies, just uh, I'll give you my address and you can ship them right to me. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll be your tester. Yeah, exactly. Um, got to love it. Well, uh, Dr. McRae, it's always a pleasure to have you on a second, uh, no, the first and third Thursdays of every single month. And uh, so we look at uh, look to have you back on here in a couple of weeks in June, oh, mighty uh, how the, the time flies. But, and uh, I will mark the calendar March 18th for Coop-tastic and, and, Coop-tastic and see what my uh, spring tour looks like.
1: Great. Maybe Combo yep. or send you our way.
0: Maybe so. We hope so. Well, hey, thanks so much for coming on. Have a wonderful weekend.
1: You too. <laughs> Say hi to the family.
0: I will. Take care. Bye-bye. And uh, that's going to wrap up another great show of Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer brought to you by Calm Box Feed. It's always a pleasure to have uh, Dr. McRae on. uh, A world of information, a wealth of information, contributor to Chicken Whisperer Magazine and contributor to FactOrChickenPoop.com and uh, co-author of the Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens. I'm going to have a long, long relationship working with Dr. McRae, so glad I found her many years ago um, and could bring her on board, uh, the Chicken Whisperer team. Thank you very much for tuning in. Hope you got some knowledge today about those wonderful, wonderful, wonderful eggs that your backyard hens are producing for your family. We'll return next Tuesday, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on Blog Talk Radio. And it looks like maybe Tuesday, uh, because Thursday I may be traveling. We'll just have to see. Um, Or is that the next Tuesday? I don't know. I still haven't got over the tour yet. I'm still my head still boggling from the tour. I'm still trying to get settled down from that. So, uh, but nonetheless, you can check out uh, when we're going to be on, who we're going to have on, over at our Facebook page, facebookcom forward slash the whisperer Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. God bless. Have a great weekend. <laughs> Uh <laughs>